Just, I'm going to speak on prayer today, and um, I think it's it's time that we don't just have another prayer meeting, we don't just have another prayer night on a Tuesday, we don't just have another prayer time, but we have a prayer movement. I think it's time that the church arises and actually has a prayer movement, a movement of prayer, a movement of people actually pounding the ground, getting on their knees, getting on their face, seeking the Father's heart, and spending time with their dad. That's I think I think we've moved past just having good hours here and there, but really living a lifestyle of communion with the Father. And, uh, and that's really what I want to touch on uh, today, is, is just really talking about not just, not just a prayer hour, not just a, a, a nighttime prayer, not just a dinner prayer. I'm talking about a prayer movement where a few of us actually get it, where, where a church here, upper room, gets it, and we're a light for the community. Um, there's a guy named Daniel Nash, and, and he was a, a prayer warrior. And many of, no one knew him until after Charles Finney died. Charles Finney was a revivalist uh, near New York. And Charles Finney uh, was actually, he's been termed the father of modern revivalism. And Charles Finney led movements. He led thousands, hundreds of thousands to probably the Lord and, and fathered movements. And, and he had a guy that would go before him named Daniel Nash. And Daniel would, would lock himself in a room. He would rent a room above above a storefront or something like that. And he would rent a room and he would lock himself in there for out for, for two weeks, up to two weeks at a time. And they would hear him just wailing and crying out in prayer and declaring salvations, declaring healings, declaring movements, and declaring revival. Then all of a sudden, Charles Finney in the, in the crusade or whatever it was at the time, uh, you're talking 17 to 1800s. And then the, the movement or the revival group would come in, they'd have revival, there'd be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, thousands saved, all this stuff. Well, while that's going on, Charles Finney, or Daniel Nash has already moved to the next city, and he's already praying. How many have heard of Reinhard Bunke? Under Reinhard Bunke's stage, there's prayer warriors, there's intercessors actually laid up under the stage as he's ministering and pouring out the word. There are intercessors, they, they, they call themselves a funny term called Bunkinators. And they are praying, and they're intercessing, and they're pounding the ground, and they're going after it in prayer. As his words come out, they actually are praying that it will plant in ground, and there'll be a harvest directly from that meeting. And they will be praying for the nations, and they're doing this as he's speaking. Many of you don't know this, but as worship's going on in here, we have intercessors around the corners of the church praying for our service. Right now, there's an intercessor praying for me as I, as I deliver a message. There is something in the power of prayer. There is something that when we actually get to it and we, we put, turn our affection to the Father and we actually communicate with Him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is simply communicating with God. It's communion with God. Communion is a unity and communication with God. We're communicating with God and we're actually not just talking, not just asking for things, but we're in a dialogue where we're actually listening too. It's interesting He gave us two ears and one mouth. But many of us, we won't ever shut up long enough to listen what the Father's saying. I'm just being real for a second here. There's twice as many ears as you have as mouths, but many of us, the only time we come to prayer is when we need something. We forget to bless Him, and then we forget to actually hear what He's saying in response. See, sometimes His no's are actually delayed yeses, building interest. And we settle, or, or we compromise, or we, or we give up, or we get frustrated when we have a no, or, or when things aren't working out the way we had hoped for. And a few weeks ago, I kind of delivered a message on that. What happens when things don't work out the way you anticipated? What happens? You press in. And, and I believe this. I believe that prayer is a foundational tool that we have to press into the Father's heart, to press into the kingdom, even when things aren't going good and when things are going amazing. 
It's, it's, it's kind of in those times where things are going amazing. You know, some of us are at different spectrums and some of us have different personalities. Some of us, when things are going amazing, it's easy to praise. And some of us, when things are going terrible, it's easy to ask for things and beg for help. And some of us, when it's right in that middle time, we don't do anything. And some of us, it's the middle time where we pray. But all of us, in all seasons, in all times, in the bad times, in the good times, in the mediocre, nothing happening times, we really need to just, just really be with our Father. I told you a few weeks ago, and I'm going to play a Jake Hamilton clip here in just a second. They're going to get that ready for you. I told you that when Billy Graham was asked a while ago, before he got really ill, he was asked, is there one thing that you regret? Is there one thing you would do different? And, and his, his response to the question was, the only thing I do different in my life is spend more time with my father. It wasn't do more crusades, see more healed, see more saved, to do, to do more televangelism. It wasn't that. The one thing that Billy Graham wished he would have done more often in his lifetime was spend more time with God. So I want to challenge you today, and I'll, I'll preach into this in a minute, and we're going to press into this word that Jake Hamilton spoke over us just a little less than a year ago. It was the end of July, Jake came last year, and, uh, and Jake preached and he ministered to our church, to our body, and at the end of it, he began to pray for us, and there's about a five-minute word that he, that he gave our church, and, and, and here's the thing with a prophetic word, it's only as good as we allow it to run with us. A prophetic word, if somebody gives you a prophetic word, if, if you have a prophecy spoken over you, it's only as good as you allowed that seed to be planted. You have to walk it out. Let, let me give you an example. If, if I was given a prophetic word that I was to move to California and plant a church, and I never picked up my bags and moved to California, that prophetic word has no root and no meaning in my life. It doesn't. I have to respond to that word. I have to receive that word. And, and I'll be honest, there's some prophetic words I just don't want to receive. Sometimes people are just inaccurate. I'm not going to lie about it. <laughs> There's some, you know, we, we were going through a trial once, and somebody's like, well, you know, Olivia, so she's, she's six now. She's our second oldest. She's the spunky one with the blonde hair and, and the bangs and bebops around everywhere. And, uh, and, and we, when she was, when Nicole was pregnant with her, I'm just going to make this short because I want to get to the root of this message. But when she was, when we were pregnant with her, uh, we were told we went to the first ultrasound around 20 weeks, and we were told that she may have this condition. I forget the name, and I remember the doctor saying, don't Google that. Of course, what am I going to do? I'm going to go home, and I'm going to Google that. So, but they had told us in the appointment not to Google it. They said that it's possible that she didn't have a central nervous system. It's possible she wouldn't have skin. You know, all these things that they were seeing in the ultrasound. And, uh, and we just... Nicole and I, we went in prayer for two weeks till the next ultrasound. And in that two weeks, we didn't tell a soul. And uh, we're just weird sometimes. I'll just be honest with you. You know, it says that there's only some demons that come out through prayer and fasting. And we just felt like God was speaking to us that we just go through this. And we just, we just, we, Nicole printed out every verse of healing and every verse of praise. And, uh, and we just, we would read those every day for two weeks. And we would pray into that. And we really pressed in and leaned into the healing of Olivia. We go back to the appointment and uh, the, the ultrasound tech and the doctor came in again and, and they said, we, we don't know what happened. It's, it's as if it's a perfect ultrasound, nothing's abnormal, we don't, but it's totally different than what we saw two weeks ago, so there's nothing to be concerned of now. And um, going into that appointment, I said, do you believe in miracles? And the lady's like, yeah. And then later on, she said, what would you have said if I said I didn't believe in miracles? And I said, I would have told you that you were about to see one. So you should start believing in them. Um, but anyway, 
After that, we announced it to the church and just, just shared our testimony, shared the glory. And what you know, somebody came up to us and said, you know, if she still does have that, if she does have that, you are the best people to, to parent a baby like that. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I don't receive that word. No. That's not a word. I'm not picking up what you're putting down right now. So anyway, there's some prophetic words that I just don't receive because it's just not a word from God. Yeah. You know, but anyway, but the prophetic word that we did receive from Jake, I feel that. So in three weeks, we had Papa Jack Taylor, Leif Hetland, and Jake Hamilton all here three weeks in a row. And it was just a lot to, to gather. And I think Jake was the first one of the three. And it was around July 20th last year. And, and he spoke this word. And I just feel like in the busyness and in the other speakers coming and Leif coming, we, we captured a lot, but not everything. So I was in prayer and, and I recorded this, this prophetic word over us. And I, I do that when ministers are here. I just record different things. So I pulled my phone out one day in prayer and I just saw it and I just played it. And I, several months later, and I realized he says something about if we did six months of prayer, what would happen? And I'm just thinking, you know, we really never capitalized on that. I don't believe that we planted that prophetic word corporately as a church. And, and I just believe right now is the time we do that corporately. So we're going to play this, and then we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to pray. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right, play that for us, fellas. Grow long term. Yes. 
Oh, there's so much fruit that's coming. I feel like the Father said there's so much fruit that's coming. There's so much fruit that's coming. There's so much fruit. Can you see the fruit? Can you see the fruit? Can you see the fruit? But if there is not a root system, this thing will be uprooted before it even begins. We have to have a root system of prayer. We have to have a root system that says we're going deep, deep, deep into prayer. So that we don't get distracted, divided. I feel like it's a call for everyone in this house. If you're from this church, the Lord is saying prayer is not an option. Prayer ministry is not an option. It's not like, hey, come, come be a part of you have time. It's like, no, if you can't, if you have a choice between Sunday or Wednesday night, I'm, I'm just making up stuff. But go and pray. That is the priority. That is priority. Go get me in prayer. Because you guys, I feel like it's that whole Mary thing where if you guys, we celebrate Mary because she came in and spilled herself out at the feet of Jesus. She didn't walk in and say, Jesus, fill me up. She walked in and poured herself out. And we have people that are coming into services saying, fill me up, fill me up, fill me up. And they don't realize worship is not about you getting filled up. It's about you pouring out. Yeah. And I feel like the way that that's going to happen is to come in of course, you get a touch. But guys, Mary goes in and breaks the jar at his feet. Breaks the alabaster jar at his feet. The fragrance fills the room. And everyone knows worship is happening. Because everyone spent their lives on Jesus. I feel like it's going to go from the prayer room into Sunday mornings, and it's going to change the way that Sunday mornings look forever in this church. The root system of prayer is going to change everything, and it will turn into salvations in the next six months. You're not going to see transfer growth. It's going to be new salvations in families and kids and yes, friends. Yes. It's going to begin. Some of you have been praying for years for a breakthrough of salvation yes. in your family. And over the next six months, as this as this house shifts its gears to say we're going after prayer, I'm just prophesying. You don't have to take any of this talk. I'm just giving you what I feel, okay? As you shift into prayer, the salvations you've been praying for are going to start to happen in moments. People are going to start to have dreams and visions. It's not going to happen because you have the right words or the right meetings or invited them to the right service. It's going to happen because God is going to start to break in in our families and then friendships and people are going to get saved. Now, not like they're going to pray a prayer. They're going to get saved. They're going to have a radical encounter with Jesus himself. And they're going to come into it I met the man. I met the man. I met the man. I met the man. And it's going to happen. I can't say it enough. It's going to happen because the root system creates a stability for the rest of the tree to grow and to much fruit. That's the picture I keep seeing. So God, we pray for that. We pray, God, develop the root system of prayer. Develop the root system of prayer. It would overflow into worship. And the fruit of salvation would begin to take place all over this city. That God, friendships and relationships that have been prayed for for years would begin to turn in a moment. And we thank you, God, for tonight and what you're doing. And we say, come. How, how many receive that word right now? So hold, let's hold out our hands. Let's just say, God, we receive that word. And we take it to our heart. We receive it right in our heart, God. And we respond right now.
and we say yes. We say we will develop a root system in prayer. We will come in communion with you, God. We will turn our affection, we will turn our hearts to you, and we will be after your heart, God. And we will be constantly in prayer without ceasing. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. So, so there's a few things in there that I just want to pull out, and then uh, we're just going to pray. I don't know what that looks like yet. I think we should just pray. I, I don't know. Nicole kind of stole some of my ideas earlier by praying for each other. Uh, so we'll just see what Holy Spirit wants to do. But the root system is re really highlights to me. And, and I remember Matt speaking on bamboo uh, a year or two ago. And the bamboo, and, and I saw this in action, and it was confirmed when I went to St. Lucia. Um, bamboo grows down for nearly up to five years before it grows up. So it develops a solid foundational root system before it grows up because a bamboo grows so fast and so tall, it grows a foot a day once it starts growing up. And this stuff shoots up. You can literally, when we were in St. Lucia, you could see the marks, the growth lines. When you see bamboo, those are growth lines. That's per day. That's, that's through a day. It's, it's nearly a foot up to 18 inches, they were telling me. So it grows down to develop a root system that interlocks with the other root systems to, to lean on each other and connect with each other. So that way when it grows up, it can actually stand and serve its purpose of what it was called to do. So eventually when it grows up, it grows a foot a day and shoots up 30 to 60 feet. And it just, it continues to grow until then it reaches its lifespan, it's done. So it's, it's crazy, and then you go through the woods, and we went through this, this forest, this rainforest, and bamboo, that thick, just, just as far up as you could see. Some of it, I think, was 100 feet. So, but the point is, the, it's only dependent on its root system. The cedars of Lebanon that the Bible references, let's, let's go to scripture, Psalms 92, 12. Ninety-two twelve says this, but the godly, and it might be a little different each version, but it says, but the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. How many have seen pictures or know what the cedars of Lebanon are? Have you seen those? Oh, I'm the only weird one in here. So there's a place in Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon, they grow on these mountains. And they're some of the oldest trees in the world. And the cedars of Lebanon, again, are only dependent on their root system. And their roots are all interconnected in the whole mountain. So they last forever because of the root system they've developed. So, so when the Bible's talking about these cedars of Lebanon, it's talking about the root system that has grown. But they are specifically interdependent on each other's roots locking in. And some of these cedars of Lebanon are growing sideways, they're growing angles, and they're just growing and they're continuing to stand there because the, the lock system of their roots. So they're intertwined and locked like this to where they cannot be uprooted. They cannot be blown away. They and what's crazy is pine trees are, are sometimes notoriously known for their weak root system. And that's why in a windstorm or an ice storm, you'll see the pine trees down. Because pine trees typically grow flat and they don't shoot down. There's only certain pine trees that shoot down. Well, the cedars of Lebanon, if they didn't have each other, they'd probably have that same principle. But they grow and they interlock into each other. And I believe this, that if, as we move into a foundation of prayer, we're going to move into a foundation, a foundational thing in this church to where we built on prayer movement. Not just, not just an occurrence, not just a night, not just a Tuesday night for an hour. I'm talking about that we pray without ceasing. And as we're doing this, we are cultivating an atmosphere in a community that they can't resist what's happening here at Upper Room. 
The people at your workplace want what you have because you're literally not only operating in the overflow of what you've already received. So freely you receive and freely you give because you're spending time with your father. See, Jesus was the original prayer movement. He only did what he saw his father doing. So as he's constantly with the Father, he's only operating from what he sees his Father doing, and, and he says what his Father's saying. See, he was so connected to the Father, John 17, he was so connected to the Father that he only operated and did and, and said what his Father was saying and doing. And that's where we need to be. We need to be so connected in prayer, the alignment for the assignment. So, so as our alignment with the Father's here, now all of a sudden our assignment with each other is locked together and we're moving forward like oxen moving and plowing the ground that's just like Daniel Nash plowed the ground before the harvest was ever even there. Amen. It's the seed planters. It's, it's, it's the waterers. God grows it, right? So, so anyway, as we're moving forward with prayer, now all of a sudden the atmosphere is changing. We come in on a Sunday. How many have noticed that our Sunday services are looking different the last month? That's because we started focusing on prayer and started investing. I mean, we had 14, 15 people here in prayer one night just a couple weeks ago, really going after it and declaring victory over the seven mountains of the cultures of influence. There was a night that we were supposed to be doing soaking prayer, and we changed it. We're doing intercessory prayer tonight. We are going to go after it, and I talked about Daniel Nash in there, and we did. We went after it. And Sunday, we had a blowout service. Jake was referencing that. Our prayer will cultivate an atmosphere. It will change things. Where we come in on Sunday, now we can just receive. Why? Because there was a few people willing to step up and create a movement. It doesn't. It, we don't need all 200 of us. We just need a few of us. Your work just needs you to pray. Your family, your grandkids who are unsafe, they need you to just go on their behalf in intercession and pray. They need a petitioner. They need somebody to go on their behalf and petition. They need somebody to thank God and praise Him for the victory that's already won that we can't even see yet. There's six different types of prayers that I'll get. I'll just throw them to you now. Six types of prayer. The first is prayer of agreement. Matthew 18, 19 says, If two or more agree in my name, I'll do it. If, if two or three gather my, in, in, in my name, and I'll be there in their midst. So there's different references to corporate prayer. One's Matthew 18, 19. The prayer of faith, petition. The next one, prayers of consecration and dedication. One good reference could be Luke 22, 41 and 42. Prayer of praise and worship. Prayer of thanksgiving. Prayer of intercession. You are bridging the gap for others. We need, to, we need to be an intercession. We need to be in all of these. It, it's funny that only one is actually petition. Only one of six prayers that I've narrowed it down to and done studies on, only one of six is actually asking for something, in a sense, directly. The others are actually praying on others' behalf. It's blessing Him. It's, it's being victorious. It's, it's just having communion and communication with Him. And then the last one is prayer of binding and loosing, declarations, authority. We bind anything that's not of God and we loose everything that's in heaven. Amen. We bind anything the enemy's trying to do. We bind anything that's not in heaven and we loose the kingdom. So we bind illness. We bind um, people that aren't saved. We bind, not literally bind them. That, that might be a little inappropriate. But we bind anything that's not of God. We can bind it. We literally have the authority. We've been delegated the authority of heaven to bind and then loose everything that God is. So we bind anything that's not of God, and then we loose. So we're binders and loosers, not losers, okay? Nicole said we're victorious. So we're losers, not losers. 
Let's go to a few verses, and then uh, we'll get on with this. Now's a good time to play that, that video. God doesn't need an army. He doesn't need 10,000 in this church. He's fine with that. He's okay with that. But he doesn't need it. He, he, he loves numbers, but he doesn't need them. If he was so concerned with numbers, he wouldn't have dwindled down the army to 300. He wouldn't have tried to change the whole world with 12. He's open to numbers because who else? Who counted the 120? Who counted the, the 5,000 that were fed? Who counted, you know, obviously he's okay with numbers. And, and he is, they are important, but they're not necessary. So let's, pray, let's play this movie or this clip of TED Talks. And it's, it's talking about how to create a movement. This is fun. If you, on the actual video part, the bottom right screen, full screen, there you go. So ladies and gentlemen, at TED we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now, if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself, it takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts, three is a crowd, and the crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so, notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out, they won't be ridiculed, but they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. So, <laughs> over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd, because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But, let's recap some lessons from this. So, first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy who was first, and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Thanks. <laughs> so how many are ready? So
So, so here's the thing. If they would humble themselves and, and it says, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The next verse that I'm about to read is saying something similar. It's actually a time that we have a revival of righteousness. Amen. Where we actually have a revival of right living, right standing with God, to where we don't just compromise and we don't just do what feels good, but we do what actually pleases God. Amen. And we don't do what displeases God. It's time that we take a stand as Christians. It's time that we actually stand up for righteousness. And it's the time we quit compromising the gospel and compromising what Jesus died on the very cross for, and that's righteousness. He wants a holy people to arise. Amen. Turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will for... You know what, though? Let's go back to that. Some of you who are here for the first week are like, man, fire and brimstone. No, it's Jesus. His, his, he's love. It said, if you love me, then you obey my commands. It's not out of duty and work so I can earn his grace and be saved. And it's not out of being able to do anything I want. He'll forgive me because that's what grace is. It's saying, no, I love my father. He loves me. I want to do what's right because I love to please my father because I love him. That's the center. That's the foundation. That's the, that's the central message. Love. God is love. You know, last week I tweeted something. It was so funny. I put hashtag love wins because hashtag God is love and hashtag God wins. And, and they, they added an emoticon to that because of the hashtag. And I was like, man, I didn't ask for that emoticon. So I changed the hashtag to love always wins. And, 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 and it's so true. Listen, we're, we're looking at the government for answers. We're looking at, at systems for answers. We're looking at our employer for answers. We're looking at a counselor for answers. We're looking at medications for answers. And I'm not opposed to any one of them. We're looking to money as answers. I'm not opposed to you having money. I'm opposed to money having you. Amen. I'm not opposed to you having medications. I'm opposed to medications having you. I'm opposed to us looking at the source of everything else but Jesus. God is love and God is victorious and he wins. He wins. He's in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So therefore, you win. It's Christ in you. I'm not opposed to doctors. We go to them. I, I take medications. I have a procedure this week. I'm not opposed to that. But that is not the source of my victory. That's not, it's not a second class healing, but it's not the source of the healer. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. It's not a second class healing when I have to have a surgery. But it's also the doctor's not my source of eternity. The doctor's not my source of victory. The government, being a Democrat or a Republican or, or Tea Party or any of these other things, they're not the source of what's going to win you the battle. God is. God's the answer. He's the answer to everything in your life. He's the answer to your marital problems. He's the answer to your financial. God is the answer. And he wins. And he lives in you. And he's the hope of glory. So, that's my spiel on turn from your wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. Now listen. Do this. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Then if my people... Are, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Kind of three things there. You do those three things, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Doesn't that seem really easy? Yeah. But many of us would spend more time watching TV than in prayer and turning from our wicked ways with our Father. Woo! Big Brother's on three times a week, and it's an hour a week. That's three hours. Am I spending three hours with my Father a week? How, like my wife, I always tease her. I'm like, how's your boyfriend Facebook doing? 
I'm just teasing her. She doesn't do that bad. She deleted Facebook from her, from her phone even. But here's the deal. Every 10, 15 minutes, our culture's doing this. On Instagram, Facebook, Periscope, Twitter, whatever. I don't even know them all anymore. We're, 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 we're putting our hope in this, and we don't even realize it. We're putting our, our joy in this, and we don't even realize it. We're putting our fear in this. Well, perfect love actually casts out fear. We see Facebook, and we get caught up in the drama, and we're like, ah, can you believe it? What is it? If that's causing you that, delete it. Just get rid of it. Listen, Facebook, internet, all that's an amazing platform. If you use it as a platform for God and not a sounding board to be a whiner and crybaby. Amen. I'm really sorry. Matt, Matt, last week I heard his message and he was, he was saying, I need to stop doing this. And Aaron's been talking. Now here I am saying, delete your Facebook account. No, they're an amazing tool if you're actually using it for that. It's an amazing thing. I love Facebook. I love Instagram. I'm on it a lot. But I'm never on there sounding my problems, asking for prayer and complaining. Why? Because Facebook isn't my source of victory. Neither is the people on there. They're not going to fix my problems. He is. I have people that I trust and go to prayer, but it's not public. I'm just saying. This, just saying. Hashtag just saying. Let's go on. James 5, 16 through 18, and we're moving on here. I gotta move on fast. I got, got a lot to cover here. Another hour, is that okay? Hour? Good. There was these ladies up here talking about Jesus being the answer and missions and team with a mission, and I'm like, when, what time am I gonna get? Alright, James 5, 16 through 18 says this, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this home. This is just going to reiterate what I just said. Confess your trespasses to one another. How many believe in corporate prayer, the foundation of the root system, we have to connect? Confess your sins one to another. Why? Because then there's accountability with it. You know why pornography is so rampant in ministry and so rampant in the church? Because it's well hidden. We need a church that actually digs it up and actually confronts it. and says, yeah, Jesus is the source of that too. Yeah, he'll fill you up so you don't have to look anywhere else. And he'll actually let your wife meet those needs. Ouch! We confess them and we become transparent and we're open and I'm so open with you because I have nothing hidden. I, why? Because Jesus has fixed everything. I don't need to worry about it anymore. If I have an issue, if I start to have a temptation, I tell my wife. I confess my sin one to another and I, I tell my brothers. I'm like, hey, I'm struggling this area. I need joy back in my life. I'm getting frustrated with people and I need the baptism of love experience again. I'm, I'm open. Why? Because when nothing's hidden, the enemy can't work in that area. It's kind of like having that wallet that's hidden. Just hide it back in there. No, when it's exposed and it's open, I can't run from that. I had a severe internet pornography addiction in the first few years of our marriage. And I, when we went to build our house, I built an office with no door. Why? Because I couldn't trust myself. I heard somebody say recently, I don't have Facebook because I don't trust myself. Good for you. Good for you. If you're not there yet and you can't trust yourself and you're not completely free and living a, an overcoming life, then, then awesome. Don't have it. I, I, didn't, I built a house without that because I didn't trust myself. But confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. What does it look like if we actually bless each other? 
and we actually cheerlead and root each other on and we're happy for each other. And when somebody gets a new car, I celebrate that with them. Or somebody gets a better house than me and I'm happy for them. What's that look like? What's that look like to have a church with no jealousy, no strife, and no unforgiveness in the church or outside of through the people that go there? That looks like a pretty healthy church. It looks like a pretty healthy church when there's no unforgiveness between you and your families, you and your whatever else, you and your co-workers. Oh, that's a good place. The effective, here's, here's where I'm getting at. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Fervent actually means fiery, zealous prayer. That's what fervent means. I love the soaking prayers. Excuse me. I love the prayers where we just come in and we soak in and we just like a sponge, just receive God's goodness and it's that quiet time and there's that place. Yeah, that's a great prayer and that's a great time with God. But there's also that time where in a fervent prayer, a zealous, fiery prayer, and if you do a word search on that, you can find that. A fiery, zealous prayer of a righteous man is effective, is fruitful, avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruits. Listen, it's time we have a fervent prayer of righteous men and women. Okay, closing up. The band can come. So the Lord's Prayer. Here's our example of prayer, and here's what Jesus tells us to pray. In one section in, in Matthew... He said, when you pray, pray this. And Luke, he says, pray like this. Same prayer. So in one area, he's saying, pray this. He's saying, say this. In another prayer, he's saying, pray like this. So not only is it a prayer we're supposed to pray, it's a model of a prayer we're supposed to mimic or be like. So, so here's the prayer. It says, so he said to them, now, now prior to this, verse 1, he's, the disciples, like I said, they're saying, Jesus, will you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples? And, and so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, let's just say this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So kingdom, power, and glory forever. Amen. So, so here's the deal. My, I'm sorry, New King James might be just slightly different, or NLT sometimes I read out. And then he said to them, so, so I'm just going to continue on through the, through the chapter there. In verse 5, he's talking about if you go to a house and there's a man in there with his family and you try to knock and he doesn't answer, he's going to say, I'm, we're all sleeping, we're in bed, I'm not answering. Then he goes on to say, but if you continue to knock, so let's drop down to verse 9. If you continue to knock, he says that he'll eventually get up and open the door. So verse 9, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you, will you offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to the Holy Spirit to ask Him? That's a great verse on sonship. If you, 
who are evil ask for a gift. Think how much more your Father will give you. But he's saying, ask, you'll receive. Knock, the door will be open. Listen, that's just what God's asking for. He's asking for your heart to pursue his heart. And in that, there's communion. That's a two-way channel. Communication is both ways. We always say, well, well, she didn't call me. She didn't reach out to me. What have you done? Anytime anybody says, well, you haven't called me, have you called me? Because relationship is a two-way street. You haven't texted me and checked on me. Have you texted and checked on me? That's what God's saying right now. God's saying, well, we were saying, well, we haven't received this, and I didn't get my raise, and I didn't get my promotion, and I didn't get that. And he's saying, have you seeked me? Have you come to me with a fervent prayer of a righteous man? That, that's his heart is just to have your heart. It's not out of works. It's not, he's not saying you have to do this to be saved. He's saying, if you ask, I'll give it to you. That's not a works mentality. It's not a duty mentality. It's saying he's crying out, saying, I want to spend time with my sons and daughters. I want to be with you. And I want you to be with me. John 17, where Jesus is with the Father and saying, I and you and you and me. That's what the Father's desire is for you today. It's for you to be with him. And it's for him to be with you. So why don't you stand with me?